Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class is today is sponsored by Emmanuel Zara, dedicated in honor of Avram Simmons for his chesed and zeal of Torah. Breakfast in the Class is also dedicated for the Refuah Shalema of Bolisa Bat Nechama, sponsored by Gail and Sonny Haddad. Breakfast in the Class is dedicated in loving memory and Lilui Nishmat, Elaine Hedaya Alea Shalom Esther Miriam Bat Beri, by her loving husband Abe Hedaya, children and grandchildren. And as well, dedicated for the Refuah Shalema, a quick and speedy recovery for Asher Ben Basi, sponsored by his granddaughter, Daniela Zaghi. Special also mention to a, a wonderful guest from Los Angeles and a dear friend of Chazak in Los Angeles, Avi Azawa. We're happy to have you here with us. It should be a zechut for the Ilui Nishama for your dad, Be'ezat Hashem, Mechael Chael. Also, we have with us Mati Cohen from Miami, who is a very special and dear friend who's run uh, Pesach trips that the community has been involved in for many, many years. It's a very uh, uh, beautiful breakfast in the class this morning. Okay, let's get cracking. My friends, in this week's parasha, we read about the power of machloket, how machloket can drag an entire community into, uh, into its jaws, and how loads and loads of people could be involved in what's called a machloket velolo, a milchama velolo, a war which does not belong to you, has nothing to do with you, it doesn't benefit you. And in the story, <coughs> you know, a lot of people, they focus on the nature of Korach and the nature of Machlok. And in fact, that's going to be the subject of our Shabbat afternoon class this week uh, in Hathaway. That's going to be called Fight Club. All the lessons that we learn about Machloket from this week's parasha. However, I'd like to perhaps learn about the anti-hero, if you will, in this, in this uh, saga. The person who stands apart. I'd like to begin with the words of the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot. The, the, the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot says, a person should be what does it mean a person should not be like Korach and his flock? Says the Mishnah in Avot, in describing uh, the type of person uh, which is uh, categorized as a person who is involved in a machloket l'shem shamayim. Whose machloket l'shem shamayim? That's the machloket of Hillel and Shamay. They fought with one another vociferously in matters of halakha. But actually, when it came down to it, their children married one another. They respected one another because they understood Elu va'elu divrei Elohim ha'im. Both of these uh, opinions are the word of the living God. I hold asur, you hold mutar. That doesn't mean I step on you. I hold the eruv is counted and therefore you're allowed to carry. You hold not, but our children could still marry. I don't consider you Mechalel Shabbat. You know why? You also have a rabbi that you're relying on. He's also a Talmid Chacham. You don't have something destroying the community. I remember when my children uh, had to be accepted to a school in London and I sat in the interview and in the interview process, they said, we only have one question for you. 
What's the question? The question is, are you going to carry in the Eruv? That's what they wanted to know. Before I took my children to school, are you going to carry in the Eruv? So I said, Baruch Hashem, thank God, I'm Sephardic. They said, what do you mean? It's Ashkenaz school. I said, because I'm Sephardic, I don't really have to answer that question. Because according to Sefer Adim, Rahadambam is very strict on the laws of Eruv. Almost no Eruv is kosher enough. If a person wants to be makpid on Shitat Rambam, you're really only carrying if there's walls around the city. So I said, in Jerusalem, I didn't carry. I carried only in Harnof, where Chamuvadia says the inner parts of Harnof are surrounded by the walls of the building on the exterior circle. In the old city, which is literally walled, okay, those are places I didn't carry. Anywhere else, I didn't rely on the Eruv because I'm makpid according to Harambam. So I said, I don't have to answer your question as to whether or not I hold of the Eruv, don't hold the Eruv, I don't hold of practically any Eruv, okay? I said, but it's a funny thing. He said, they said, what? What's a funny thing? I said, it's a funny thing you're asking me before you take my kids into school if I use the Eruv. You didn't ask me if I keep family purity. You didn't ask me if I eat kosher. You didn't ask me if I keep Shabbat. You didn't ask me about Lashon Hara. You didn't ask me about Avodah Zarah. You didn't ask me about stealing. You don't care about anything, only whether or not I carry in their roof. I said, I'm just, I feel bad for the mitzvah of Eruv, that the mitzvah's intent was actually, if you look at the Gemara, to draw the Jewish people together. And the thing that was designed to bring Jews together has become a thing that has divided communities all around the world. My wife is kicking me under the table. Our kid's not accepted into the school yet. But why can't, when something like that happens, I can't handle, I feel like I gotta drop the truth bomb, you know? The Mishnah in Avot says that when it comes to Shammai and Hillel, where their intentions were actually pure, so you could hold one way, I could hold the opposite, and I could still respect you so much that I would allow my daughter to marry your son. You're someone I want to do a shiduch with. That's the level of respect I maintain throughout the disagreement. The second level, says the Mishnah, is a machloket shelo l'shem shamayim. Machloket shelo l'shem shamayim and sofod hitkayim. In the end, it doesn't, uh, it peters out, it fizzles out. What's a machloket shelo l'shem shamayim? Korach. So the first machloket is machloket bet shamayim and bet ilil. Who's the second machloket? Korach ben and Benedetto. Korach and who? Korach and Moshe. The Mishnah doesn't say that. It says the machloket of Korach va'adato. Korach and his people. When it comes to the first machloket, there's Shammai and there's Hillel. Those are the antagonists. When it comes to the second one, it says Korach va'adato. But there's no other side. It only mentions the people on one side. My friends, the answer is because in the Machloket of Korach, there was no other side. What does Korach want? Power. He wants kavod. He wants ego. That's what he wants. Correct? 
Who's he fighting against? Who's he fighting against in this story? Moshe, right? But Moshe doesn't want what Korach wants. You know, anyone who has kids and a car will know that kids have a very strange uh, preference for specifically which seat in the car they want to sit in. Last time, you sat in the middle. You sat at the window. You sat in the back. You sat in the front. You sat in the... They're all the same seat. On an airplane, you have first class, business class, economy. I understand. One time, I got out, went up to the front, uh, to the desk. They said, Rabbi, you know, are you Shlomo Fari? Yes. You have upgraded to first class. I said, oh, it's amazing. I said, but you know how many tickets we are? We're seven... At the time, was it seven, eight? We were eight people. We had eight tickets. They said, oh, we don't have eight upgrades. We have four upgrades. I was like, Shema Yisrael. Better give the upgrades to someone else. <laughs> right? <laughs> Sammy Sutton from At Jet Set Sammy Sutton says, don't fly commercial. Then you don't have problems. All right, so I get upgraded, but how many of us get upgraded? So I go to my wife, I say, Khan, look, we're gonna, let's do the, me, you, and two of the kids. We'll make a raffle. Which two of the kids are gonna move to the front? Okay, I had my daughters already teenagers, you know, 16, 18, you know, they could watch the kids while we uh, living it up, having a manicure by the, 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 you know. All right. I understand the kids fighting first class, business class. I get that. What difference does it make? You're sitting in the middle of the squishy seat in the back row of the minivan. Or the, who cares? There's no better service. All right. Yeah. Korach va'adato is fighting a fight where it makes no difference to the person that they're fighting with. What does Moshe Rabbeinu say? Va'anachnu ma. Our rabbis explain that the Torah tells us that Moshe Rabbeinu was the biggest anav that ever lived. Mikol ha'adam asher apne adama. Hatam Sofer says, what does it mean ha'adam asher apne adama? The man from all men that walk the face of the earth. Ha'adam tells you that from the three greatest um, people who were uh, described as uh, an, people who are anav, Moshe was the greatest. Who were the three greatest uh, anavim? Abraham, David, and Moshe. Abraham Avinu says, I'm dust, I'm ash. David Amelech says, I'm a worm. But Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'm nothing. So at least Abraham is dust. At least David is a worm. Moshe is nothing. That's why Moshe is the greatest anam mikol ha'adam. Abraham, David, Moshe. Okay? So Korach is fighting for power and honor. And who's he fighting with? The guy who doesn't want it. So let's go back to the scenario. Imagine... You're sitting in the aisle seat. And a guy comes and he says, uh, excuse me, sir, you know, 
uh, is there any way you can move to the middle seat? You say yes. He starts fighting with you. You said yes. You don't care which seat you sit in. He's yelling, he's screaming, he's making a ruckus, he's calling over his stewardesses. You're like, I said yes! <laughs> I don't care which seat I sit in. Korach is fighting for power with a guy who doesn't care about power. The machlokit is not between Korach and Moshe. My friends, pay close attention. Who's the machlokit with? Between Korach and Adato. In fact, even though they sit on the same side of this fight, they're the ones fighting. Because whoever wins, what is the other guy thinking? I wish I won. We have a president. His name is Joe Biden. Someone should tell him. We have a president, Joe Biden. He has a vice president, Kamala Harris. Did they come in as friends? You know what? I think, Joe, I think you should run. I'll be your vice president. I'll be your wing lady. No. They fought it out. She lost. He won. He chose her. Because he thought that that would get him more votes. The women, minorities, etc., etc. It was a calculated move. What does Kamala Harris want? She wants to be vice president? Narishkeit. Ridiculous. She wants to be president. Who's really fighting here? If you're looking for power and honor. Korach and the people who he's with. Because they're all fighting. They all want the same thing. Moshe doesn't want it at all. He has one problem. After telling God he doesn't want it. Again and again and again and again and again. What does God say? Tough nogis, it's got to be you. So Moshe has no choice here. But in this machloket, the other person is not present. We can learn from Moshe a tremendous lesson. To not be present in a machloket. To allow the person to shadow box. We mentioned the other week, uh, tragic story that happened two weeks ago in the news. There's a boxer fighting somebody else, knocks the other guy down to the ropes. Something happened. As the other guy falls down, he walks away. He must have had a concussion or something from before. He starts punching in the air like he th thinks there's somebody there. It's terrifying to watch. Terrifying. He's fighting like this. Anyway, collapses on the, on the mat. They take him to the hospital. Guy dies the same day. I must have watched this video 20 times. How many times are you fighting with someone who's not fighting with you? How many times? How many times are you fighting with your wife and she's not fighting with you and you're picking a fight? You came home upset at your boss, but you can't yell at him. You get fired. So you come home, you're not even aware that you're doing it, and you pick a fight with someone that you could yell at. Now you can't yell at your wife. Yeah, you can't yell at your wife. But you know when someone loves you that if you yell at them, they won't run away and they won't fire you. So it's a safe space to feel powerful I'm not suggesting a person should do this I'm suggesting that people do do this but what we learn from Moshe Rabbeinu never mind the lessons we learn from Korach but we learn from Moshe Rabbeinu is this magnificent concept called 
disengagement. Korach wants to fight, Moshe is not there to fight. Not only that, he's the tzaddik, he's the rabbi. Let them all burn. Let them all fall away. Moshe gets up and he goes, he humiliates himself to go to the tent of Datana Aviram to beg them. First he calls them to his, meet, to his house for a meeting, Yanni. They won't come. Little did they know that they were going to be right. They would never rise from Gehinnam. But what does Moshe do? He chases after them. He's not present in this fight. The only people fighting is Korach Va'adato, even though it seems like they're on the same side. If Korach gets the job, you know what everyone else is thinking in Korach's party? Now I just need to get Korach. <laughs> I got it away from Moshe. Korach's got it. That's the job I want. So let's try and imagine what this looks like in real and in practical terms. I want to rewind to a character called Avraham Avinu, who is also Afar Va'efer, dust and ash. He's the Anav. He carries his humility with him. It's like a weapon. It allows him in, uh, in fights to win in the strangest way. And let me explain what I mean. Abraham has a fight with Lot, remember? Lot's uh, uh, shepherds are eating from the fruits of, the, of the, the trees, the grass. The animals are eating from the, the local produce in Eretz Israel. And the, the rationale is that anyway, the land has been promised to Abraham. But Abraham's shepherds say, yeah, but it hasn't been given to us yet. It's stealing. So Abraham's shepherds are taking the animals all the way out to pasture in lands that have no owner. Okay? There's a machloke between the, the shepherds of Lot and the shepherds of Abraham. <coughs> Comes Abraham to Lot and listen how beautiful the words are. He says to him, my brother, Al-Natehi let there not be a fight between me and you. Is there a fight yet? No. Avram says, I don't want there to be a fight. I don't want to get to a place where we are fighting. Separate yourself from me. Right? If you go right, I'll go left. And if you go left, I'll go right. You choose. You have a pie of pizza, you split with a friend. You split it down the middle. Right? If you choose a side, right, as it works with the kids, whatever slice the kid chose, who chose first, the other kid says, his slice has more cheese, his slice has more sauce, his slice has more crust. Whatever one you find, the kid will find the reason why that's the slice he wanted. So what does Abraham do? First lesson in tactical negotiation. What does Abraham say? You choose. Abraham has a strategy for disengagement. A strategy for avoiding. For al-natihi miriva. You know, there was a, a, great, uh, a great rabbi. 
<coughs> who they came to him to divide up, uh, what's it called? A, um, uh, uh, a inheritance between the brothers. And, you know, the rabbi knew that no matter how they cut the, the cake, So what did he do? He went to one brother and he said, this is how we're going to divide the cake fairly, the Yerusha. You, as the older brother, I would like to appoint you to divide the estate into two fair parts. Older brother's like, yes. Younger brother's like, no. And the rabbi smiles at the older brother, he says, and after you have divided it into two parts, I'm going to allow your younger brother to choose which part he wants. You got it? That is the fairest division that has ever happened ever. Because <laughs> he makes sure, he knows that the guy is going to get messed over if it's not a perfect division. Because the other kid's going to choose the bigger portion. So he made absolutely sure that the portions were exactly symmetrical. So that when the younger brother chooses the bigger one, he doesn't get left with the smaller one. So what is your strategy to avoid a fight? Families have meetings, financial meetings. They have meetings about choosing where they want to go away for Passover. They have meetings about, you know, what they're going to do with this, with this, with daddy's car. They have all sorts of things. I always say to them, before they go into the meeting, do you have a strategy for disengagement? Do you have a al Do you have a strategy, a no-fight strategy? Husband and wife are upset at each other over something, brothers, friends. You want to talk it out. Children and parents. Kids becoming too religious, kids becoming not enough religious. Right? They're going to sit down now and have a conversation. Did you map out an exit strategy from that conversation, which is a no-fight strategy? Did you, did you figure it out? When it comes time to describe the machloket of Korach and Moshe, the Mishnah can't even list Moshe on the bill. He just does not show up. He turns up at the other guy's house, humiliates himself, the greatest leader the Jewish people ever had, I'm here. I'm here for Shalom. How do you guys want to play this? What do you want to do? Let me let you choose. According to this, my friends, I have a tremendous chidush. What is the anivut? The humility of Avraham. How is it described? The humility of Avraham is described as Anochi, a far wafer. I am dust and ash. If you turn to the Gemara Ta'anit that we just learned together, the Gemara Ta'anit says a story about Nachum Ish Gamzu. Nachum Ish Gamzu is appointed by the Jews to go to the Roman leader and to bring him a big present, quote unquote. Okay? To leave the Jews the heck, the the heck alone. <laughs> stop torturing us. Stop passing decrees. They prepare for him a chest of gold and silver. Diamonds. Who are they going to send it with? Nachum Ish Gamzu. 
This man who always said all is for the best. Nachum Mishgamzu goes on the way, he stops in a hotel. They see the guy walking with the treasure chest. They think to themselves, forget it, Hadjah, let's see what the rabbi has. They open it up, what do they find? Treasure. They take all the treasure, they fill it up with stone, with the sand, with earth from the backyard of the, of the hotel, you know, and they send him on his way. The rabbi opens it up in the morning before he goes. He sees earth, you know, mud, sand, you know. What does he say? Everything's for the best. He goes to the Roman uh, leader with a chest full of dirt. The Roman leader says, uh, he says, I bought you a present from the Jews. The Roman leader says, open it, what is it? It's earth. He says, you're making fun of me? I'm going to destroy you and all the Jews. Says the Gemara, Nizdamenlo, suddenly, Eliyahu Anavi comes as a messenger in the room. And Eliyahu Anavi says, the Jews would not be so stupid to send you Dirt. Not, they know you're powerful. They're not going to start up with you for nothing. You know what dirt this is probably? This is probably the special dirt of their forefather, Avraham Avinu. That Avraham Avinu, when he went to, to war with the five kings against the four kings, the four kings were more powerful. They defeated the five kings. But they took Lot. Big mistake. Avraham then goes to war against the four, the four kings. He picks up earth. He throws it at the uh, soldier, the man of this massive army, and it turns into arrows and spears, blistered out, and he defeats the army of the... The king says, are you sketching me? Wow, it's amazing. Let's go send this magic dirt. Could you imagine we could send that to the Ukraine now? <laughs> go, they send the magic dirt to the enemies of the Romans. They go to war. They throw the dirt. Miracles happen. Swords and spears. The Romans win the war. They come back. The king is thrilled. He fills the whole chest of the rabbi with gold, silver, diamonds, and he sends him on his way. Anyway, on the way back, rabbi stops. <clears throat> same hotel. The people can't believe that he's still alive. He just brought dirt to the king. They said, what happened? He says, oh, well, you know what they said. is special dirt. Da, da, da. It was magical. These guys think, oh my gosh, we know where the magic dirt came from. Came from the backyard of the hotel. They fill up treasure, treasure chests and treasure chests and treasure They dig out the whole backyard. They go to the king. They say, we're coming, bringing you magic dirt. <coughs> they say, okay, great. From the same place where the other guy got it from. Okay, fantastic. Test it. They test the dirt. The dirt doesn't do anything. The people who stole from the rabbi, who brought this thing, who brought the dirt, are all executed. That's the story. I thought to myself, on a simple level, what the Gemara is telling us is that Avraham Avinu had access to magical dirt. <coughs> but on another level, we understand that the magic dirt of Avraham was Anuchi Afar Va'efer. I am dust and ash. The miracle that Abraham has is that he goes into a war with his humility. Now on a practical level, the way that that works maybe is that the, the earth becomes, you know, uh, helps him win the war in a miraculous fashion. But Abraham went into the war humble. I'm a nobody. I can't win this war. I'm going according to some opinions. You know who he goes to war with? Him and Eliezer. Because it says in the Pasuk 318, Chachamim say, the Gematria of Eliezer, 318. So it doesn't mean that 318 people were. But even if it was 318, it's against four kings. 
Abraham goes in humble. He recognizes God's position in all of this. And he knows he can't do anything without Hashem. And that is Abraham's secret weapon. My friends, we have access to the same weapon. The weapon of anava, of humility. To walk into a situation which you know can be contentious. Which you know can be fraught with issues. And to say, does it matter so much if I'm right? Does it matter so much what the guy said to me, how he said it to me, if he said it to me? Does it matter that much? He could have said, I'm sorry. Yes, he could have. And he didn't. He should have. He could have. He would have. Learn from Moshe. Learn from Abraham. The best way to win a war is not to be in it. How many American soldiers died in Vietnam? Died in Korea? Right? Died in all these machlokets that were not our fight. And you think to yourself, well, you got to be crazy, these Americans. When Israel soldiers fall, they fall because Israel has no choice but to enter into that war to save its own lives. That's a fight that you have to fight. What the heck is America sending soldiers to Korea for? Do you understand? This idea that you look at the country and criticize it, it falls back, it boomerangs back to you. How many fights are you losing? Precious soldiers, precious time, precious energy. You have indigestion, you can't sleep, you're stressed out, your hair goes white or falls out altogether. And you know what? It didn't even matter in the end either way. I remember a case that happened in London. Two brothers who literally pit against each other. They tore each other limb from limb over one of the properties, right, that eventually could become a very important property. If it was zoned for residential, they could have built a skyscraper over there, billion dollars, I don't know how much it could have been. They fought, they killed, they divided the whole family. Cousins didn't even know each other's names, right? You know what happened in the end? The building wasn't rezoned. And they fought, and they destroyed, and they maimed, and they killed, and what did anybody gain from it? Nothing. Ach, ya abai. Figure out a strategy for disengagement. You lose the least amount of soldiers in the war you don't go out to fight. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. 